Good morning. It's Aisha Elliott, Black Girl from Eugene. How are you? How are you? How are you? I hope everyone is doing well, fine, and dandy. Although I know the energy of the world is pushing back on that as hard as it can. We are still here. So congratulations. Now, this today I'm going to talk to y'all a little about resistance, a little about black pain, a little about how I'm feeling reflecting on all of this, and hopefully you get some nuggets of knowledge. You may hear my grandchildren in the background because that's what I do. I am constantly multitasking my life, and while my episodes come as they come, my life never stops. So, first, before we get started, I would love to thank my Patreons so, so, so sincerely for supporting me and Throughout the whole, the support I've received has been incredible and ongoing. Um, and like I said, I can't, I can't thank you all enough. The Patreon absolutely keeps the podcast moving along. Um, and of course, the more supporters that I get, the more dynamic things that we can do, um, like bring guests on and of course, um, even have um, location type podcasts that would happen. So... Without further ado, um, you know, I, as I'm talking and I'm thinking about and watching the world, right, and I'm thinking about the popularity of um, black pain with white people and the idea that I am, I am wrestling with at this point is that when the obsession of black pain becomes the reason why you engage in a population, the level of dehumanization and saviorism that go hand in hand is super problematic. It's problematic on mental levels, physical levels, spiritual levels, energetic levels, like every day me and you, you know, the, the um, crossing of lives at the grocery store levels, like very basic problematic Issues as you see white folks looking at black people like they are struggling and the one that they see doing well being exceptions to the rules. Now, you know, if you followed my podcast long enough that, you know, I've talked about this several different times, but this is a different way of thinking about it yet again, because you can think about this over and over and over again and come up with 50 billion reasons why it exists and why it's problematic and why it won't change. And the issue, you know, when we talk about systemic issues of racism and how uh, systemically we continue to perpetuate racism and really more than racism, anti-blackness, it becomes the idea, the foundational idea of how to relate to black people. If you're not understanding how to relate to black people, you go to the default socialization of what you understand, which means black people are incapable of actually rising to the top without help. What does rising to the top even mean? Rising to the top of what? What, Rising to the top of what white folks consider the pinnacle of success, knowing very well that it has been set up very clearly that black people will never get to that pinnacle just based on the, the, the color of their skin. The darker, the more maligned, right? But if you're black from the United States, you have less credibility with white people unless you are in pain. And then the credibility is not necessarily credibility. It's actually 
the 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 cry for help is what they hear. It's a it's white centered attention. I, we, us can help you. Rather than looking at the situation being like, what is it that we're doing that can causes this condition in your life? Because the truth of it is, is as we understand it, you know, despite white supremacy, right? We've talked about this. Despite white supremacy culture, black people are still here, thriving, you know, happy, living amongst the pain, smiling, dancing, creating, right? Leading. And without that, though, the thing is, is that we're not actually centering the wellness and success of black children, the wellness and success of black adults, young adults, being able to come through a system, a school system that constantly denies their right to, to being civil human beings, being treated as such. Yet somehow they're able to come through this very system that has dictated that their very own lived experience is not only not valid, but really kind of a part of the, the reasonable equation of the abuse the system continues to roll out. It's kind of like, that's well, we wish it wasn't like that. We really wish it wasn't like that. So now here we are in 2022, rolling hard into 2023, and not able to understand still. Maybe we're waking up. Maybe there's a crack in the surface that the idea is that individually it would take courage to stand up to your own privilege. But really more so is to actually become self-aware. Self-aware being that you can be the kindest, sweetest, most, most present human being possible. But if you're not actually looking at how your presence impacts the people around you, not only just your, your own civil self, but actually as you are saying that you're anti-racist and standing in a room of people that you're like, wow, so-and-so said something super racist. What do I do? Well, what are you doing? It's not about doing it because they said something racist. What does it mean to you? At some point, did you take the idea that racism is not outside of who you are and what you are, but is inside of who you are and what you are? So if someone in the room says something racist, it's not bad because, oh, it's racist. It's because it should offend you. It actually should make you feel offended because racism and anti-blackness is dehumanization. And you're witnessing someone dehumanize another human being. It really... Black and white is a social construct. It's actually not anything that has anything more to do with the systems of creating separation for lots and lots and lots and lots of economic, social reasons that, excuse me, reasons that would be able to uh, maintain this, this hierarchy, maintain this oppression that we're discussing, right? So... When it becomes anti-racist, it's not really something that you're doing or that you're interested in and that you're reading more about and that you're like really finding it fascinating. It's really about you and how you show up for what you believe in. And believing in something is not being interested in something. It's a commitment to what it really means to be present in other people's space. The space is not, uh, you're not ownership to the space. The space is supposed to be equitably owned, uh, equitably shared. 
which means that the rules and regulations are to be what? Not centered around one person's benefit or one group's benefit. So when you're sharing space, and sharing space to me means the grocery store, the, the, the movie theater, the classroom, the damn road, right? I mean, honestly, like the way that we share space, the way that we see each other, the way that you see yourself in alignment with blackness. Now, is that a weird concept? Whiteness, white people's existence being in alignment to black people's existence? The problem with that is, is that constantly the narrative of the black existence is coming from deprivation, even from black people, right? Even from black people. The, the, to be able to reflect on our own consciousness in the, in the mirror of whiteness is a disease and a problem of oppression. So when do we begin to come from a space of, when do we become from a space of black-centeredness? And that black-centeredness comes from a place of joy. When is it okay that, actually, let me stop there. Let me think about the people that you follow on Instagram who may be pro-black or who are black, who are culture critics or who are um, leadership uh, who, who are anti-racist, they're authors, they're therapists, and they're black. And a lot of them talk about the, the injustices that black people endure. What if they flipped the script and just started out talking about the joy of black people? Would you be interested? Or are you relying on them to tell you what white people are doing to them even though you are a part of that community and that privilege? Is it possible that other white people recognize the privilege? And then we get into this idea of like, well, can white people teach other white people? I don't know. Yes and no, right? There is a level of that, this discomfort that white folks need to get to by hearing the information from black people. But again, let's flip the script and let's say, what if in 2023 black people aren't sharing pain anymore as a currency? Perhaps we, you know, just talk about joy, just talk about how we exist in this world spiritually with music, with creation, with science. Watch the numbers fall. Watch the money just drop out. White folks aren't paying for that. They want pain and they want pain and distraught. They want pain and distraught. They want pain and distraught. They want to hear the pain. They want to know how they can be centered in helping that. They want to know how they can be centered in helping black people's pain. Not understanding that the issue is that they are needing to be aware of how they contribute to a system that is not budging. Every time that there is not a question asked, if you know something's going on and you don't say something, you're contributing. If you see something that is inherently inequitable, and you go, dang, that is messed up. Did you hear? You are contributing. I'm not asking everyone to be a hero. I'm not asking everyone to jump and put their, their, their bodies in front of the bullet. But, however, you're witnessing the bullet land 
and people who have no power at all to stop it. And that's gross. So what I'm trying to say is that it doesn't take a whole lot of courage to realize that you're participating in dehumanization by witnessing the ongoing practice of separation through access, separation through resource, separation through practices, normalization of of, um, oppressive wording, oppressive phrases, normalization of oppressive, oppressive practices. And if you really don't know what practices would be oppressive, I need you to pick up a book. I need you to look around. Just look around. Well, there are more black people showing up. Are they staying? Do they engage? Are they happy? This is not for you to ask. This is for you to witness, right? Just, you know, just be aware. So, I mean, there's a lot going on locally uh, where in Eugene, there's a lot going on nationally where there has been all this super performative um, changes going on on the corporate level, hiring DEI specialists and advisors like myself um, and wanting to get to, the, to the, the, the crux of the problem. And then when you get there, realizing that it requires a systemic change for your business, it requires a personal change in your approach, then all of a sudden people go, yeah, 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 I totally want to do that, but we're just going to do it like this. Well, it's really uncomfortable to do it like that. Ah, I don't know, that's really going to take a hit on our business. I'm not sure how that's going to work. Yeah, that's all performative. The thing is, is that when you decide to be anti-racist, you're talking about systemic change. You're talking about actually conducting business differently. You're talking about a high level of creativity to literally recreate how a system is operating to systemically exclude groups even with their best practices in line, even then is it problematic. And if you don't have a specialist to show you, if you don't have an advisor to show you, you're going to make the mistakes. The thing is, is that you also have to understand what to take on such a, such a huge um, endeavor as, of, as in recreating and deconstructing a racist culture for your, in your life, in your business, in your everyday, in your gym, you know? It, it's going to require a lot of you, yourself, showing up to the work. And for the person who is assisting you in that, lived experience is absolutely essential. Lived experience is absolutely essential. I cannot, cannot emphasize that enough. So when people are hiring, you know, white-bodied DEI folks or advisors, people, the backup folks are not, are not centering the lived experience of people of color, then you, you, you're, you got the black person up front and all the white people behind them. Ah, I cannot tell you 
I cannot tell you that anti-blackness is not academic, right? The, the crux of the lived experience is not academic. The, the idea of how people, the impact of these structures and systems is not academic. The system itself could be considered and could be analyzed. But when you take the experience of racism and anti-blackness and try to analyze it like it's coming from a book, you're missing the point. You are dehumanizing a whole group of people that, that are, are all around the world. It is not academic. You need someone and you need to pay them. Not $50 an hour. They are taking on your emotional baggage and having to create it in a way that your fragile ego can hear it, which is a part of the job, but that's also why it's a part of the pay. It's something that any DEI specialist or any advisor that I know love to do. We love to do it. We love to do that, but we will not do that for pennies on the dollar. It requires a lot of time. It requires a lot of centeredness of your own trauma. It requires a decenteredness of that trauma. It requires the space to take on other people's trauma and to not absorb it. That's a skill set that when being used to the benefit of others deserves to be paid for the time. So, you know, I feel like on the very basic levels of this kind of stuff that you really need to start understanding that if you're looking at something with an anti-racist and you believe it's an anti-racist lens, I would love for you to double check yourself and decide whether it's the lens you're trying to say is anti-racist or are you. Because it does not matter. It does not matter if you think you're slapping a lens on top of it, if your mind still is coming from a white supremacy cultured lens. You're going to read that, that, that um, equity lens from a white-centered space. Miss the point. You see how that works? It does come down to you. It comes down to you. It comes down to white folks who believe that they can meander through a system that is inherently and, and factually built on racism and you can just meander through like it doesn't affect your everyday and like what you do with people of color is not coming from that lens. Just because people of color have learned to deal with that and with you does not mean that you're doing it well. Every time you're talking about this, this is about you and this is about how you show up. This is about you bringing in racist tendencies. Trust me, white supremacy culture, have, we all, like I say in my trainings all the time, we all have a relationship to racism. White supremacy culture, at some level, all of us practice it. We all practice it for different reasons, different ways. Our relationship to racism is different depending on who and where and how we have been socialized in this community or in this society. However, that does not mean that, you know, oh, some people have to talk, have, get to do something different than I get to do. It doesn't, it's not about looking at other, what other people, it's about looking at you and how you see yourself operating within it. To have a group of people, like I can't get over some of the podcasts that I have done about particular groups within a particular community of Eugene, Oregon, 
and having like what would be considered, you know, black centered spaces just by the title and puppeting the black folks in, in leadership by their white counterparts. It's, and, and people know it. Black people know it and don't do nothing about it. Like that's to me, that to me is evident white supremacy culture and, and internalized oppression. Don't know, don't want to, don't want to make the stink. You know, don't want to be that one person who's always, it's all right. I mean, she, she don't do everything, you know, you know, she, she, she's there, but she, she doesn't make all the rules. She's not even supposed to be there. So anyway, I'm just out here thinking about it all and just realizing, well, I'm not just realizing, I'm just sharing that, you know, the idea that we actually have this system of, of um, internalized superiority, not system, I'm sorry, this, this awareness of, of internalized superiority, internalized oppression, and how it comes out in our behaviors. And I, and I find it fascinating that the most poignant work around anti-racism really is about self-awareness and self-preservation and self, um, basically, how psychologically we show up, how psychologically we uh, process. But yet we keep talking about we keep talking about racism as if it's academic. Like I say, like it's outside of who we are and what we do and how we think and how we, how we uh, literally inter- interact with each other. We have brought it into who we are. It is a piece of our existence. It's a piece of our self-identity. It's our self-identity. And that, if we are not actually addressing that part, we really are going to miss the, the roots of the issue. Right? I mean, you, we have to go inward. Courage and fear go hand in hand in the deconstruction of this culture that will inevitably keep us separated. And as time goes on in this particular time, the extremes are becoming more and more poignant and dangerous. And I think the evidence of gun violence in the United States is pretty, pretty, I mean, like, this is not fact. I mean, I'm not, I don't, did not look at the research. And if someone has looked at the research, that would be great. But, and I wonder if there's research on it, honestly. But like the level of fear and how to coexist in this land in the United States and the violence that is happening through gun violence I mean, it's, it's extraordinary. It's not, it's not gossip that the United States is an absolute outlier to gun violence from the whole world. And it's also not you know, gossip that the United States has one of the most poignant issues with racism to this day that has not been resolved. It has only gotten more deep-seated and, and more dangerous. So I just feel like the level of fear and lack of courage, um, you know, the, the, the idea of losing something, that desperation of holding on tightly, so tightly that your hands are piercing with white, you know, it's just, you're just squeezing so tight to something that's not even tangible. 
it's literally an idea that, you know, if I, if we split, if we share, if we, if I have to give up something, then I will lose who I am. What would I be? And not even seeing how that actually equates to what you're saying that black and brown folks are. They are without what you are holding so tightly. So are you saying that you cannot be like them? You know, I think lots of people have seen Jane Elliott, which I just love Jane Elliott. And, um, and you know, she, there was a, she's a white uh, professor like in the 70s, and she still works even now um, and does anti-racist and racism trainings. And, and um, anyway, she's amazing. And there's this one clip that's all around the internet then she's asking folks, I think it was like 1978 or maybe 84, something like that. Anyway, she's asking people, uh, a room of white folks, anyone here would change their life, exchange their life for a black person's life? Like, would you, ex- and I'm paraphrasing, would you exchange? Like, would you like to live the life of a black person? And no one in the room raised their hand. So she said, okay, so you know that there's a problem, <laughs> right? So you know. Um, and that to me, is what I mean when you talk to someone who is, I'm an ally, you know what I mean? But they, you know, it starts to become cumbersome when they have to actually, you know, look up everything in their life that's racist and try to not only look it up, but change it, you know, shop other places, perhaps, you know, create positions, perhaps not be the leader, perhaps, you know, not be the center of the solution, perhaps um, taking the second, third, fourth seat in listening and and assisting, you know, um, perhaps advocating when it's unpopular. They don't want to do those type of things. And if they do it one time, they're like, whoo, that was scary. I'll try it again next year. You know, all of that is a part of the privilege. And I'm not pointing fingers. I'm just wanting people to actually like see the, the participation and how it's real and how it isn't real and how it's self-serving or how it's actually impactful in a positive way because it's impactful, period. I mean, just because you didn't intentionally do something doesn't mean it's not in, uh, unintentionally impacting negatively on groups, groups and groups and groups. Sometimes not even the group that you're with, but the group after and the group after that. So it's not like we walk through this world unintentionally, or, or I'm sorry, we walk through this world being absolutely intentional about everything that we're doing. Even the things we don't know we're doing is impacting people. When it comes to anti-blackness, it is part of our everyday routine, socialized norm. So nine times out of 10, you are perpetuating this. And places like the Pacific Northwest, nine times out of 10, the black folks who are there are used to it. That does not mean it's okay, right? And that does not mean that black and brown people in the Pacific Northwest are okay either, even though it would seem so. We have another relationship to racism, right? And our community, black and brown, we need to have our own discussions outside of white folks trying to learn from us. Right? We have healing to do ourselves within our communities, which we need to talk about. Right? The need to martyr ourselves for the sake of the message. That kind of stuff is not okay. But that's a conversation and that's a practice and that's a healing that we need to do. 
right? Positioning ourselves, or not even positioning ourselves, but allowing ourselves to be positioned by good-hearted white folks who really want to know, but think it should be said from a black person. So let that one black person have all the weight on their shoulders. But we're supporting you. But you're black, so you should say it. Guess what? Guess what? With a white person actually embodying anti-racism and actually committed and convicted by it is powerful for other white folks to witness. Trust and believe. Watching a black person be the center of anti-racism work and being the only black person battling their own demons and of white supremacy culture and trying to stand up for any other black person who doesn't want to, plus be the, the, um, you know, the poster child for anti-racism for all the white folks too. That's not, that's not, that's not cute. That's trauma. And white folks believing that they cannot be anti-racist and they cannot speak on anti-racism. Only black folks can. You, you are also missing the point. This is actually not a black and white thing. This is a dehumanization thing. And so when black, white folks are committed to the life of equity and living, black and brown people breathing and living without fear because it means something to white folks' everyday life. When, you, when your wellness is tied into black and fo- brown's wellness, then you have made it. And then you get to speak. There shouldn't be a black and brown person in the room to ha- for it to have to be anti-racist. You should be af- just as offended, right? It doesn't require a black person to be offended about anything racist being said, done, or practiced. Not if you're anti-racist, you should be just as offended. You see how far... Right? Like, you, it should be something that, you know, just as easily, offend, uh, uh, as easily as discussed as sexual harassment. Easily as discussed as homophobia. You know, you don't have to be gay to, 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 to uh, um, believe that homophobia is abhorrent and say so. Right? Nobody, every, that, that seems to be easy. That, that seems to be easier. And put the er on there, because it's not easy, it's easier. So I'm just encouraging a, a reflect, because as we move into 2023 and into these midterms, I'm telling you, the wiffle waffle of the internalized understanding of racism being a human problem that was created and then perpetuated, if we don't start to really get behind that, and not necessarily behind it, but get it in us, we are going to lose this fight. And this fight right here is something that's, that's changing the pace for the next 30 years, 50 years of our existence. Our babies' babies are going to be living in a world that's decided by people who have decided that if you're not white and you're not cisgendered and you're not able-bodied, that you don't deserve to be here. And that's extremely real. I don't know what else we have to, I mean, like, it's real. Roe versus Wade, gone. You know what I mean? Like, it's, this is, like, not theoretical. This is happening. And as much, as much fear as I have, just by knowing that it's real, 
it takes courage to go outside and just be like, hey, how are you doing? Because you're like, oh my gosh, if everything is as real as it says, this person might just not even serve me. Or this person just might not answer me when I say good morning. This person might skip over me. This person might grab me. Because it's that real. So every day a person comes out into the world and displays a, a courage to, of kindness. It's time for us to speak up and answer it. Tenfold. Doesn't matter who it is. It's the, the, it's the courageous act of being present in a world as scary as it is now. And saying it matters to me because if you're not okay, I'm not okay. And so if you're being courageous to say hello and you don't know me, you don't know who I am, you don't know if I'm on the other side, I'm going to show you, hello, right back. How are you? Good morning. And I'm actually going to look at you when I say it. Good morning. Good afternoon. I hope you have a great day. Enjoy your weekend. Looking at someone's eyes right now and doing those very super simple connections mean something and maybe you'll start to feel like there's human connection again but can you do that with black and brown people without acting like you have to be anything other than yourself you look and you say good morning (laughs) you look into their face and you say hello how can i help there's nothing more needed there's nothing more necessary slow Slow steps to humanization. (laughs) You would be surprised. And none of that requires a pat on the back for you. This is minimal, minimal connection. That takes courage at this point in this day and age. And that's what we have to step into. That's what I'm encouraging. That's what I'm asking. Is when that's hard, right, Everything that we're talking about disproportionately affects people of color, black folks, brown folks. It disproportionately affects no matter what you're talking about, environmental health, health care, maternity care, education, financial stability, all disproportionately affect people of color. So your encouragement in the spaces that you take to inquire about our policies around anti-racism and no one in the room is black. Now you've got it. But don't just inquire. Follow up. Inquire again. Follow up. And when you don't see it and it continues to be shook to the side, it's time for you to ask, when are we going to say we're practicing racism here? When are we going to talk about that? Ah, the big R word. When are we going to talk about the fact that we are willingly practicing racism by not instilling anti-racism practices? That's all. You know, give it a shot. See how it goes. And I know how people are are like, oh, mm, easier said than done. You know, but that's because you're still wrestling with your racism. And I am okay with that, as long as you know that. As long as you know that. If you're like, I got racist, it's all up in here. It's, I, I'm trying, I'm battling 
I'm doing what I can do, sis. Okay, don't stay there. Move on. You get to have that for a little while, but then you got to move on. Your right to comfort is not something you can sit on. Right? Not in the work that you think you want to be saying that you do. Just saying. At some point, it's going to get uncomfortable. And not only at some point, at multiple points. So, step up. Put your shit up. Right? When you're committed... When it's who you are, it's not optional. It's not optional. So when you witness practices that are steeped in white supremacy culture, I want you to check yourself first. And I want you to figure out what, what, what the feeling is that you're having. And then I want you to decide where in your anti-racist, self-proclaimed body that you can be effective in the space within your own body, right? Within your own practices. How do you stand? That's like, you know, and, and then there's like 50 billion steps after that, but I would love to see that happen. That is my, that is my request. Anyway, I hope you all are having a wonderful, wonderful week. Um, as you probably know, you know, uh, I am doing my podcast as I can bring my podcast up, and it's usually about every two weeks or so. Um, I'm definitely working on a more regular, regular schedule, and so I absolutely appreciate your uh, patience and your understanding, um, and especially, especially, as, especially as I'm... Um, working through this, this transition and move and all of the things that I've got going on. I so appreciate the idea that you all are really um, backing me up and staying with me through this journey. So um, thank you again. Please, please, please be kind to yourself and others. It's the best thing that we can do for the whole world. <laughs> and, uh, I know it's not easy, but it's absolutely essential. So, black girl from Eugene, and I'm out.